Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa This evening, I'm going to talk about uh, liberation through understanding the three universal characteristics of, of existence. So the three are anicca, impermanence, uh, dukkha, uh, suffering, or unsatisfactoriness, and the third one is Anatta, which is non-self. Well, you've been practicing for such a long time. I'm sure you know all this. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes I wonder, such talks like this, they make their way to Barry Gazette newspaper. There's eight to five yogis trying to see impermanence and dukkha and no self. I don't know what the local people would think actually. They would say, Don't you see trees? You know, the leaves are falling. Why do you have to spend all this time here? <laughs> I mean, you can see them <laughs> suffering. You don't need to come to IMS, though this center <laughs> this center is called Insight Meditation, which means uh, really Vipassana Meditation, uh, where you see these insight knowledges. Non-self? You go to IMS to see non-self? <laughs> well, <laughs> even if uh, you ask any normal person, say, why do you have to see non-self or non-self? So these are very difficult uh, teachings to people who don't meditate to understand. But there's two kinds of uh, what call, let's say, impermanence. One is at a gross level where we see trees falling leaves changing, but also on a subtle level we need to sit on moment, from moment to moment. And I think that's what we are doing all the time here, to be able to see uh, these insight knowledges, uh, the three characteristics of existence, from moment to moment, not just part time, mm-hmm. from moment to moment. And even those who are practicing uh, concentration meditation, uh, they need mindfulness, but at some stage they need to really concentrate and be able to finally see these three universal characteristics of, characteristics of existence. So I have a question here now. Why don't we see these three universal characteristics of existence, even when they present themselves all the time. 
Every time you're focusing on your breath, your man, you, you practice mindfulness of breathing, the breath is changing all the time. What about emotions, anger? Is it changing all the time? Maybe some of us, we are seeing it as permanent. <laughs> this is, for me, a very interesting question to ask. Why are we not seeing this from moment to moment? The answer, we get, we get it from the scriptures. There's what we call distortions. The Pali word is called vipalasa. Vipalasa. Really is the opposite of vipassana. <laughs> but you need to know this word even if you, you don't want Pali language, but you need to know this word, vipalasa. Because that's why we don't see these three, three characteristics of existence. Because there's some kind of distortion in our mind. Distortion on level of perception, distortion on a level of thoughts, distortion, distortions on a, on a level of uh, views. So there's already distortion. Kind of optical illusions, you know. This reminds me of a story in Japan. There was a drought and horses were starving. Horses were starving to death. They could not eat the grass because the grass was brown. So the Japanese decided to find out some ways on how to reverse this problem. They decided to manufacture goggles, green goggles. And then they start putting green goggles on a horse. All the horses had green goggles. It's amazing horses starting eating the same grass which was brown. Now to them it's green. And they ate all the grass, they all become plump and they survived. <laughs> that distortion helped. <laughs> I think we are putting <laughs> goggles also. And we cannot, uh, instead of see, like seeing things which are, uh, instead of seeing impermanence, we see permanence. Instead of seeing uh, suffering, we see happiness. Instead of seeing uh, not self, we see self. We want actually to really see clearly, but because of these distortions, that's why most of the time we are struggling. We are struggling. Even something that is changing, many, many times we are struggling to see the change, but we can't see it because of these distortions. That's the bad news. <laughs> That's the bad news. There's distortion, but also there's good news that we can reverse this. Distortions actually put us into trouble many times. And from my experience, I remember when I was 
uh, at Bavana Society in West Virginia. I spent like eight years in that monastery. When I went to that monastery, there used to be rumors that they, are, they have black bears. I said, no way, you're pulling my leg. There's no black bears here. So all these years, I, I knew that there's no way you can see a black bear in West Virginia. But one year, they started constructing a power line. I mean, these tractors, all sorts of tractors, came to devour all the trees next to our monastery. So they really distorted the whole environment. I mean, they constructed the power line. So around that time, it was interesting for me. I had a day off, and I was sitting in my kuti and meditating, and I decided to take a little walk outside my kuti. So I was sitting on a trunk. All of a sudden, I saw a black dog. I said, wow, this is a very big dog. And our neighbors... <laughs> Our neighbors actually had dogs, but I had never seen them. I thought, wow, these dogs are coming to our monastery. I saw a big dog. And I, there was no problem. I, I, I just kept on seeing it. And it came so close, so close. I said, mm, no, this is not a dog. <laughs> <laughs> so distortion, distorted perception. Now here I am, face to face, with a big dog. <laughs> Once I knew that it's not a dog, I ran away. <laughs> and that was my meta. <laughs> That's how I practice meta. <laughs> I can tell you for sure I've been practicing Vipassana meditation for a long time. I forgot all the mental notes. Sing, sing, sing. That's the first thing that went out of the window. <laughs> but once I reached in my kuti, I said, come on, you're a monk. You should apply Buddha's teaching. Kind of naively decided to follow the bear. And this time I want to practice compassion. May you be free from suffering. <laughs> because it got so scared. It got so scared and it went in another direction. So now finally I'm seeing clearly. Before I had Vipalasa, now I have Vipassana. <laughs> I'm seeing clearly what's going on. And now it was really amazing that I actually... This teaching came out, compassion, and it went on its way. So that's my distortion, Vipalasa. <laughs> so on that level, I can understand why when we come to meditate, maybe we, we are not seeing clearly impermanence because of our distortion. But when we practice and practice more, we can see clearly, oh, this is what the anger is like. Now anger is arising. Oh, anger has disappeared. Oh, that's what the Buddha was talking about. 
I mean, even Greek philosophy what, uh, was talking about impermanence, actually. So this is very, very important. A very important word to learn is vipalasa. It comes from the verb called vipalayas, uh, vipalayasa. It's called vipalasayati, which means to distort, to, di to, to be deceived about, or to give a wrong notion. So then vipalasa is the verb, which means distorted perception. So it's this kind of distortion or derangement, uh, perversion or inversion, basically corruption. I told you the three levels where it occurs. It occurs on the perception, the way we perceive things, the way we think about things, you know. It may be distorted. It may, it may not be the reality. The way we, the, we view things, you know, political views, many ways we can see this. Now, how do we come the, these distortions? This is the good news. The Buddha taught what we call insight meditation. Insight meditation comes from the, uh, the word insights. It's like kind of, I want to call it inside seeing as opposed to sightseeing. You know, when you, do, you go for sightseeing, you see outside you know? all the trees and everything, but inside seeing is inside looking on what's going on. So, vipassana is a, a noun, comes from the word. The verb vipassati, vipassati, which means to see clearly. When you separate these two words, uh, in, between these two words, uh, like this v, vi, and pasana, which means contemplating. And v really is a very, very important word in this, uh, in this case. Because v there means uh, in Pali two things. One, vivida, which means uh, seeing things. Uh, if you add it with um, pasana, seeing things in a different way in terms of anicca, impermanence, dukkha, uh, suffering, and anatta, non-self. So that's one part of the V on that word. And then another part of V is visesana, which means really uh, seeing things in a special way, not in an ordinary way. I think in one of question, uh, the question uh, we had question and answer session, I was describing this uh, with a bottle of water. I don't know if you remember this. I was saying, uh, but I don't have a bottle of water to show you. But really, uh, when you have a bottle of water, you, you may call it water, but actually when you look at it, it's not just water. There's elements, earth elements. There's fire element, hotness and coolness. There is air element, of course. You can even look, see the bubbles. Earth elements there, uh, the softness and hardness. So this is, this is seeing things in a special way. Because when we see things in a, a special way, not in ordinary way, then we can see things changing. We see when we hold this cup, you, it's hot. And then you, if you just say, oh, this is a cup, green, there's no insight. It's gonna it's gonna come just seeing green cup. No. But when you touch it and feel hotness, that's what I feel because there's some 
lovely tea here. So uh, it's hot because the body temperature uh, is lower and the, the, the tiny cup has a, a temperature which is higher. So I feel hotness. That's the property of fire element. And so then I can see the change in hotness, even coolness I can see. But I can't see the change in the color of the cup. But I can see these elements. So that's why this, uh, this practice always has to be practiced with uh, seeing these five aggregates of clinging, starting with the, the body. It has elements. And then with these properties of elements, you can see things in a special way, not in an ordinary way, just like when you look at uh, water and you say it's water, other people say it's H2O. Chemistry, uh, people study chemistry and physics, they say it's H2O. But to a meditator, you cease to look at this as water, especially when you practice insight meditation, you don't look at this as H2O. You see it in terms of elements. So it's a special way of seeing that is, is going to help you to really uh, see moment to moment anicca, dukkha, anatta. So I think this is very, very important to remember this word, vipassana, because it's what removes these distortions. So... I'm going to talk about these three characteristics of existence. Already yesterday, uh, Andrea talked about the last one, non-self, not self. So I have nothing much to talk about. So she did a good job. <laughs> so, but still, there will be questions. Okay, if there's no self, then who is listening to the talk? <laughs> So these questions are very, very common. That's the most common question. Mm? But eventually you will understand yourself this. As you remove the distortions, you will understand it clearly. Okay, the three characteristics of existence. The first one is anicca, as opposed to nicca, which is permanent. Permanence. So impermanence. So there are three questions you always need to ask when it comes to this. The first one, what is, it, what is impermanence? What is it? What is impermanence? The second one is what are the signs of impermanence? And the third one is what is contemplation of impermanence? Contemplation of impermanence. In Pali, is uh, the first one is Anicca. The second one is called Anicca Lakkana, and the third is Anicca Nopasana. So you need to understand this clearly if you are to understand these uh, three characteristics of existence. So starting with one, impermanence. What is impermanence? Is it the trees? I mean, even civilizations are impermanent. Egyptian civilization, you know, Machu Picchu. A lot of civilizations <laughs> are already impermanent. <laughs> yes. I think this is very, very important because most people think 
uh, impermanence, not in so much in terms of the five aggregate, aggregates of, 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 uh, which are subject to clinging. But if you really want to understand it from moment to moment, uh, impermanence nature of this experience, it has to be always uh, with the five aggregates of clinging. So what's impermanence? The answer is the five aggregates of clinging. Right? Live around the trees, all right? <laughs> the trees are also impermanent, but really from moment to moment, from moment to moment, you need to understand the five aggregates that are impermanent. Sometimes Sally gave a talk about this, I'm sure. But unfortunately, I wasn't here, so I don't know what you talked, but I know it was done thoroughly well. I'm not going to talk about <laughs> these five aggregates, you know, so I'm sure you've already finished this. So, but it's very, very important to know that, because when you look at our body, the body, does it stay the same all the time? Does it stay the same? Maybe already since you came here, the body has changed. <laughs> New cells have come up and old ones are dead. Even they say after seven years, you might as well give yourself another name. <laughs> Don't be surprised that after 10 years, I'll be Damarakita. Another time, I'll be Sangrakita. <laughs> so the triple gem, gem will be there. Now I'm still Buddha Rakita, actually. I'm still Buddha Rakita. <laughs> but tomorrow, maybe I'll change my name because tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> really, all the cells completely gone after seven years. Completely. So you you must uh, you might as well have impermanent names, you know. Yeah, your name is impermanent also. No problem, you can change, but maybe it's difficult for your passports and all these documents. <laughs> but uh, there shouldn't be a problem because the body has changed, you know. What I call Buddha Rakita has already changed, you know. So we see that in the five aggregates, one by one, there's no time to go. Uh, into in details for each aggregate, but uh, I think you know. So, what are the signs of impermanence? What are the signs? I think that's where the problem comes. Most people say, "Oh, anicca, anicca," but uh, do you really see anicca impermanence? Maybe not. The reason is you are not tuning in into what we call the, the signs of impermanence, what we call anichalakana, the signs of impermanence. What are the signs of impermanence? Rising, passing away, both rising and passing away. Those are the signs. Once you see those signs, then you actually can see clearly this reality. But are the signs impermanent? What do you think? The signs shows you the way. Let's say the sign to Boston, it just tells you, okay, you are getting close to Boston. 
if you don't don't see the sign uh, don't forget about gps <laughs> if you don't see the sign will you go to boston maybe you go to into the opposite direction <laughs> because you don't see the sign i think why we don't see impermanence is that we don't see the signs clearly rising passing away and both rising and passing away those are those are the instructions we get in the four foundation of mindfulness to to really be mindful of the rising factors the passing away factors both rising and pa passing away uh, factors so this is very very important actually if we want to understand this but also some, some of us uh, have the habit of clinging to even the signs it's just like going to Bo you are going to boston and you see the sign to boston and you stop there <laughs> yes i've arrived in boston good luck <laughs> the sign of boston is not boston <laughs> it's just the sign to boston uh, when i was in australia australia last time I read this, a book by a monk, uh, Agent Brown. It had a cartoon, and it had a big sign, end of suffering. And somebody was hugging on this and getting attached to the sign of end of suffering. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> really, this is a sign, end of suffering, and you're attached to the end of suffering. You see? So we shouldn't even get attached to the sign, it's just that it's pointing towards that direction. It's just like pointing to the moon. This is a very common uh, saying, I think, from Zen tradition. The finger pointing to the moon. The finger is not the moon. The finger is pointing to the reality. You know, The finger is pointing to the moon. In many, in many cases, when you point something, you point something like this to, and you tell a person, can you look at this? I don't know why the first time people look at the finger. I don't know why. <laughs> but actually the finger is pointing towards something. And it's in our experience we need to see that. So here's the question. When you meditate, emotions, they arise. Desire for that chocolate. Do you have chocolate here? I don't know. <laughs> Ice cream or something like that. The desire comes. Are you able to see it rising? Are you able to see it passing away? What about anger? Are we able to see it rising? Are we able to see it passing away? And this need to be done from moment to moment, seeing these signs actually, so that they point towards this inside knowledge. This is, this is very, very important. It's very, very important. The third question, uh, what's this contemplation of impermanence? The Pali word is called anichanupasana. Anu means along with. A person, of course, means contemplation, and Nietzsche means impermanence, you know that. So contemplation along with impermanence. To do that, you need to see the characteristics. You need to really see the signs 
Don't ignore the signs. Most of you, you come to report your meditation and I listen, I listen. I'm always keen to know whether somebody is mentioning, oh, I was able to see this sensation, sensation arising. Oh, I was able to see this emotion arising and sometime I saw it disappearing. Then I know this person has the insight into impermanence. Because they're telling me the signs. This is very, very important. So we have to see along. Not just having a concept, oh, things are impermanent. Oh, things are impermanent. No, we need to see clearly from moment to moment. And we need to contemplate. So these words are very important. Anicca, first one. Anicca lakana, which is sign of uh, impermanence. And then Anicca nupasana, contemplating impermanence. And each sign we, uh, has to be like that. We have to really see clearly. Okay, you have already done, uh, you have already, li you already uh, listened to the five aggregates. Let, a, let us do a little bit of an experiment. If you think that this insight is like a brain surgery, it's so difficult to see, let us do a little bit of an experiment. Hmm? Just for, I don't say being playful, but really being, exp <laughs> we want to experiment this for ourselves, right? I don't want these things, books and all this. So let's now see this. All right, I'd like you to do like this. Put your finger like this. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Okay. Now you can leave it. So... Most people say that I don't know what's impermanence. It's so difficult to understand. It's not that difficult. Now, you put your finger here. You practice mindfulness of breathing. I hope so. Because you're all meditators. I'm sure you are able to be mindful of breathing. So the whole breath has the five aggregates there. Right there. The whole breath has the five aggregates. Did you notice them? You didn't? <laughs> you didn't see the five aggregates. I'm going to tell you to repeat this exercise. <laughs> do, again, let's do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, put their finger. Be good meditator, right? This time be mindful of the breath. That's the, the, what you call the air element. It's part of body, right? And it's just passing out all the time, right? And then there's a feeling. Is it neutral, pleasant, or unpleasant? Tell me, please. Neutral? Ah, that's a feeling aggregate. Oh, what about perception? Is it a long breath or short breath? Mm, sometime long, sometime short. That's my perception. What about uh, mental formation? Oh, that's my mindfulness. Mindfulness of breathing. Ah, again, that's... Uh, what about my con consciousness? Oh, I'm aware of the breath. Oh, there's impermanence now. Thank you very much. We are going to demystify meditation. You do this every time. Each breath is inviting us to see the five 
aggregates as impermanence, as impermanent. We can keep on going on and on, but I think it's very clear. Five aggregates come together like a cup like this. Uh, you see, five the, is actually a sense of complete. According to Indian thought, five is actually shows what you call completeness. They are all complete together. If it, I'm holding a cup like this, I have all the five aggregates together. If I'm taking a breath, the five aggregates of cleaning are there. Uh, I think they made already the distinction between five aggregates and five aggregates of clinging. I'm sure I know that. So all the five are there when you're handling your breath like this. You don't handle this cup like this. Okay, if this is the five aggregate. Do you handle your cup like this? Oh, this is the body, this is feeling, this is perception, this is mental formation, this is consciousness, and lift like this? They come together. But meditators are a bit funny, you know. They want to make sure that they understand one by one. This is the body. This is the feeling. Where is my perception? Where is my mental formation? Is there consciousness? That's a very, what you call, papancha. <laughs> really, <laughs> really. Do it. Just do it. <laughs> Just do it. Hold the cup. Five aggregates of clinging. Hold the breath by mindfulness. Then the five aggregates. So maybe enlightenment might be under your nose. <laughs> if there's awakening <laughs> to happen, <laughs> it might be happening under your nose because every breath you can see these inside knowledges. We go to the next one. The next one is called suffering, dukkha. Uh, again, uh, what is dukkha? What is dukkha? Is the five aggregates. Uh, dukkha, five, five aggregates which are subject to clinging are dukkha. And what, what is dukkha, uh, what you call dukkarakana? These are signs of suffering. These are signs, and we need to observe this. We need to pay attention to these signs. If we don't pay attention to these signs, then we are going to have distortions, right? We are going to see things as happiness, right? So the signs already, uh, you know that, uh, oppression, you know, dukkha dukkha, the pain when you meditate, uh, or even when you are not meditating, you feel some pressure, Pain comes in your knees. There's other signs also. This is change. Well, dukkha dukkha can be from physical unpleasant, uh, uh, physical unpleasant feelings, and sometimes mental, which is unpleasant also. But this comes usually uh, with pleasant feelings. Right? Pleasant feeling. It's very difficult to see dukkha in pleasant feelings. Can you imagine going to a restaurant and you're eating and you're enjoying a good meal, pizza or whatever food, and say, how's the meal? Oh, it's dukkha. <laughs> a 
especially if you are treated to a very good meal and you are telling people that your meal is dukkha, maybe next time they won't take you. You want to say, mmm, yummy, I'm enjoying it. (laughs) But things change. Feelings change too, you know. So there is always underlying change, things shifting, instability, you know. Uh, You you see this clearly. Though it's not visible, uh, but really you can see it in your meditation, right? Even in good mind states. You start your meditation with a very wonderful, exalted uh, mind state. Wow, finally I'm enlightened. That's how it's going to be the next sitting. It's so pleasant. I want to hold on to it. So you come back to the next seat. It changed completely. You are just the opposite going through storms, you know. <laughs> so you can see even pleasant, pleasant experiences, uh, mind states, also they are changing uh, constantly. Pleasant. That's hmm? Viparinama Dukkha. There's also another sign, uh, which is uh, based on all conditioned things. Uh, in, uh, everything is conditioned, you know. Everything coming due to cause and condition, especially the five aggregates, all conditioned things actually, they also become a sign here. This is very, very important to remember too. In a sutta, Anatlakana Sutta, Andrea referred to it yesterday, the Buddha said, What's impermanent is suffering. So it's like logical, you know, whatever is changing, it is suffering. So again, since uh, she referred to that sutta, I'm not going to spend much time about this. We go to the most difficult characteristics to understand. It's called anatta, non-self. For those who want to know about this teaching, refer to Andrea's talk. <laughs> she did a good job. I don't know what to say about it, but I, let me say something. <laughs> yeah? Let me say something about it. You have to remember that the Buddha, when he was teaching this uh, teaching on non-self, it was a critical response to many philosophies. They were in the 6th century BC in India. There were many philosophies bubbling. There were 62 of them, 62 views during that time. When the Buddha came, he really summarized them, all these views, uh, views, fit neatly into two world views. One is eternalism, uh, what you call spiritual eternalism. Then, and that meant, of course, self, you know, 
Then there's another view which is the opposite of that. It's materialistic annihilationism. Right? Annihilation. So this they say no self with N-O, no self. The Buddha was a little bit confused because all the people were falling into those views and they, they were committing unethical uh, uh, behaviors and uh, there is no karma, there is no effort, there is no attainment, there is nobody who is attaining attainment, there is no cause, there is many, many views. You, you can read them actually, they are very interesting and uh, I think Andrea uh, pointed to those views. What the Buddha came with was not another view to become the 63rd. He wanted to stay clear out of those views. And he started questioning, what do you call this self? The thing you call self. This teaching is called soul theory. It's a huge body of, of teaching uh, about soul theory. So then... Uh, the Buddha tried to ask, What's, what is it that people call self? So he found out what people were calling a self. It had some elements. One is permanence. It's permanent. Another one is happiness, bliss. Another one is unconditioned. Another one is Unconditioned, another one that it's uh, like subject to control. So those are the four things you have to remember, actually. If you, are to, if you, are to un you want to understand this teaching, at least from the Buddha's point of view. One is permanence, the self, according to them, it was permanent. Another one was uh, bliss or happiness. Another one, unconditioned. Another one is um, uh, under control, uh, under control. So now the Buddha say, wait a minute. For me, my teaching, uh, the Dhamma, is actually for a particular purpose. The Dhamma is for a particular purpose, to get liberation, to overcome greed, hatred, and delusion. So now he decided to really look at the, what they call self using the five aggregates of clinging, one by one, starting with the body. You say, is the body permanent? What would you answer? <laughs> the body is not permanent. <laughs> if it was permanent, you can say, oh, let me stay 50 years, you know. Let me stay 15 years or 10 years. Actually, that would be miserable. Imagine if you are one year and you stay all one year, we have all these people coming to meditate one year old. <laughs> In diapers, you know. <laughs> With something. We keep on growing. We can't stay the same, you know. We can't stay the same. So then he went to, uh, to the second one. We, people, they thought it is self. They said suffering. suffering this uh, self thing is already blissful. Right? Uh, happiness. Then he found out with feelings. He found out, oh, this is what you call unpleasant feelings. Not all feelings are blissful. Pleasant only. You, you, might, you might want to make them pleasant all the time. 
Good luck on that. What do you think? Is feelings pleasant all the time? Not in my experience. <laughs> Not in my book. <laughs> you know, the feelings keep on changing. Then the Buddha said, no way, I'm not going to accept that. Then he kept on going to the second uh, future uh, about unconditionedness. Unconditioned? So that's what they thought it is the self. Ah, the Buddha looked at the five aggregates. Ah, these five aggregates of clinging are conditioned. Look at the body. You have to eat food. Hmm? Even feelings are based on contact. Right? Contact. Perception. Everything is conditioned. Consciousness is conditioned when you are seeing something. You see something. It's based on a light. If there's no light, you can't see. It's based on a visible object. Then he went to the fourth one, uh, subject to control. People who believed in self, they believed that it's subject to control. The Buddha found out these five aggregates. We are not in control. We are not the boss. (laughs) The body, feelings, perception, mental formations, Mm-hmm. Consciousness, they are escaping our control all the time. Even the body, we clean it and all these things, but later on, it gets unclean. Even if we want to keep things in a certain way, but they escape our, our grip all the time. Can you have pleasant feelings forever? No. Can you push our pain? <laughs> so things are, control, are beyond our control. So the Buddha concluded that no, uh, this self-thing, uh, I'm not going to buy into that. So what he really taught is non-self, based on this, that everything's changing, but every, uh, I mean the five aggregates are changing, uh, unsatisfactory, uh, conditions and are beyond control. So, in your experience, let's say again back to the breath. If you have the five aggregates when you're breathing in, find out whether it's the breath changing all the time. Should you see that the breath is changing all the time, then you are gaining insight into anatta, non self. Because that's a sign. And you need to contemplate what we call. Uh, anatta, uh, anatta nupasana, contemplating along with uh, along uh, this kind of uh, teaching on on non self. There's something that I need to let you know about the Buddha's investigation about the five aggregates, whether they are, have a self or not, whether they have a core or not, a core, sub, something substantial. He gave five similes that can bring you close to what uh, the teaching on, on non-self. He talked about the body. It's like form, F-O-A-M. Actually, when you look at the, this form, it's just, there's no substance. Can you find any substance? 
You can't. Then he talked about feeling, feelings. Feelings are like bubbles. The Pali word is bubula, bubula, bubbles. When you look at bubbles, they're just like moving up and down and breaking apart. So our feelings, pleasant, neutral, all changing all the time. There's no core. Then uh, with the perception, he said that it's like a mirage. Uh, just those who are, have experienced this. And for me, it was fascinating when I was young. I was, drive, uh, I was being driven in a car and I used to see water on, on, the, on the road. I couldn't wait to see the water. And when we reached, there was no water. So then the Buddha said that perception is like a mirage. It looks real, but it's not. And I checked actually how a mirage is formed, like a cool, cool air coming and hit the ground, which is hot air, and then it's, it is reflect, reflect, refla, refracted. And then uh, the way it is refracted is actually, it makes a curve, but for us, when we look at it, we have vipalasa, and then uh, we actually uh, see it in a straight line, and then that causes a, a distorted view or optical, optical, optical erosion that there's water. Actually, deers, many deers have died because of this kind of uh, situation. They always look at, uh, at this one as water. And then for mental formations, the Buddha Say that, say that it is like a, a plantain tree. When you peel a plantain tree, you keep on peeling and peeling, you don't say anything. So even with the five aggregates, you keep on peeling. Uh, like for instance, mental formations, you don't see the core, the substance there. You don't see. Then uh, with uh, consciousness, he talked about magic, magician trick. When the magician do something, uh, you think it's real, but when you go behind, you find all the tricks, it all loses the charm, you know? It's not so real. So you can experiment yourself again uh, when you come to meditate. Come and watch the breath. You will see for yourself the breath itself. You see it changing all the time. Those who are difficult to see anatta, raise your hand. <laughs> Little bit, raise your hand. <coughs> breathe. Start breathing. <laughs> and once you breathe, I'm telling you, my friend. You see, you start breathing, you are going to see the breath changing all the time. Hmm? That means it's not self. Right? You are going to see it's actually beyond your control. And you're going to see that the breath is conditioned. The breath is conditioned. You must have a nose to breathe. That's already a condition right there. It's just a condition. You must have lungs. <laughs> Without lungs, can you breathe? So your mindfulness of breathing depends on diff different conditions. It's conditioned. You will see the conditionings. And also beyond control. Are you the person like a cartoon inside there? 
controlling your breath. Okay, now I want a long breath. Now I like a short breath. Now I like medium, not so short. Is that what you do here? If, you, if a breath is long and then next time is short and you have no control over that, that's a teaching on anatta. But again, most people say, oh, you know, I want more. Actually, anatta should be very complicated teaching. So in other words, people are very good at complicating Buddha's teaching. Buddha was teaching peasants, uh, farmers. Have you be, been to India? <laughs> These are farms, you know. There's nobody coming from college or um, Harvard or Stanford you know, with a PhD in this and that. These are people who have never gone to school, actually. These people who are being taught by the Buddha. I think they didn't complicate the teaching. <laughs> but we who have gone to school, learn mathematics, algebra, calculus, chemistry, physics, and all that, we tell them, okay, please breathe in and out. See Anicha Duka Anata. Huh? <laughs> Maybe I need the encyclopedia in Buddhism. I need, the, I need to read the encyclopedia in Buddhism to understand Anicha Duka Anata. Friends, not so. No, not at least as far as I understand it. I'm just giving you this offering to you. <laughs> it's how I understand it. It's not brain surgery. The, the only thing you just need to do it from moment to moment. I think that maybe that's what is a little difficult, that you have to do it from moment to moment. But doing it? Oh no. <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> It's simple. <laughs> uh, so it's, don't complicate this teaching of Anicca Dukanata. Just breath. Just go on your breath, actually. You don't even have to go very far away. You don't have to scratch all these encyclopedias and all these things. You are the encyclopedia. Your mind-body process. It is. How then this teaching liberates us? Because the topic is liberation uh, through understanding these uh, insight knowledges. Is like when you start seeing this from moment to moment, you gain what you call wisdom or insight knowledges. And the function of wisdom, the Pali word is panya, seeing clearly, seeing in details, not with vipalasa, eh? distortions. Really, you see clearly for yourself. And once you see clearly, they, they present themselves to you. What's impermanence is unsatisfactory, and what's impermanence and unsatisfactory, the combination of the two, you can see an uh, anatta, non-self. So once you gain wisdom, the function of wisdom is to cut off mental defilements, greed, hatred, and illusion. So as you continue to see this, you are no longer going to cling on to the five aggregates. Right? The five aggregates. You are no longer going to cling on to the five aggregates by, by, the, way, by the way of I, mine, myself. Slowly you start to cut off these mental defilements. I is conceit, mine is craving, and myself is wrong views. So you keep on cutting off. what These are called fetters actually. 
I'm not going to repeat this. Um, already Andrea talked about the 20 views. The, that's what the Buddha wanted to, to you to do, actually. He was not teaching these teachings to be, oh, wonderful teachings. Wow. He was teaching so that you can use them to break, to liberate yourself from this suffering, from samsara, the circle of birth and death. So you break free from these fetters. And once you break the first fetter, which is called identity view, uh, there are 20 views already uh, yesterday you, you heard about them. Then you attain the first level of enlightenment, and then since you can see cause and condition, then you're actually going to have no skeptical doubts, and there's, there's not going to be attachment to rights and rituals, because there's nobody to, be, uh, to please, basically. Uh, those who believed in self, they had a small self here, and then the big self, or Mahabrahma there. So they used to do these rites and rituals to please a bigger self up there. So you are not believing into that, those things now. Because you see clearly. You see cause and effect. You see conditions. So you attain liberation. And that's what the teachings are about. The teaching, though, of I, uh, this I, what we call conceit, there's a tendency to conceive I. We perceive things, but to a person who's not yet, oh, um, what you call, trained, always will conceive this with the I. So that's why even Apple say this is iPhone, I this. Now, next time, we're going to have I robes. <laughs> because everything's like I, 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 you know? iPhone, iPad, I, 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 it's just amazing. How are we going to break free if everything's I? I cup next time, you know, I cup. <laughs> but we need to break free from that. I know even writing, if you look at writing, probably 80% we, we are using the word I. I, I. It serves the purpose, you know. So, I mean, these things I'm not saying, no, no, don't use I anymore, you know. Maybe it makes sense from a survival point of view. With survival, uh, with the pr reproduction, with uh, pro what you call progress, prospering. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. There's a place to use these things. I. I think I love you is better than loving is arising. <laughs> I think it's much better. There must be an I there and you there. And even teaching on impermanence, it has its place. Imagine you go out and then somebody say, oh, you know, uh, I love you until the sun dries. You say, no, love is impermanent. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> it has a place. Oh, you love me? Oh, yes, I love you. But if you say, no, love is impermanent, don't kid me, you know. <laughs> I've just had this talk from a monk from Uganda. Thank you very much. Let us sit for a moment or two. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.